Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host, podcast producer, and sports writer for the LSJ, joined by free beat writer Chris Solari and LSJ sports columnist Graham Couch. Gentlemen, it has already been an incredibly weird 2020, and our worlds this week got turned upside down once again with the Big Ten announcement canceling fall sports. Uh, we will talk about that here a ton on the podcast, but uh, just general reactions. How, how's life right now? How are you guys feeling? Jeez, that's a tough question right now without knowing what the rest of the fall is going to look like. I mean, good. I, I'm We're healthy. We're Everyone here in the house is doing well. No one has uh, physically hurt each other, although the the twins do tend to get a little rough house with each other, but otherwise we're doing well. How about you, Graham? Yeah, no, I mean, life is weird and uh, there's a lot happening, uh, but uh, physically I'm healthy. My wife has not kicked me out, and um, so I will keep my complaints to a minimum. I mean, let's be fair, that that has nothing to do with the pandemic. We're just surprised that hasn't happened since you've been married. No doubt. No, there, there's been some tenuous moments. Uh, we're going to spend most of this podcast uh, – talking about the Big Ten and everything that's happened over the past four days or so. And there's been so many different moving pieces. Uh, we will try to get to everything. And if not, uh, we'll kind of hit, hit the main parts. You know, the, the Chris, you were part of the free group that broke everything on Monday night. We'll talk about that. Then the late push by the coaches on Monday to save the season. And then two schools, we find out, voted against it. And then there's the we want to play push from the players that happened on Sunday night. And just everything else both in the Big Ten and outside inside the Big Ten with other conferences uh, deciding to play. The Pac-12 also decided not to play. We'll talk about all that. And then we've got some hoops talk, and then we will do Twitter questions. All right, well, of course, let's start with the Big Ten on Tuesday. The Big Ten announced that they would not be playing the fall sports season, which, of course, includes football, which is the biggest moneymaker, of course, for all of these schools. And we really, really just turned the sports world and college football upside down. Chris, as I said, you were part of the – you know, free free group that broke that news on Monday, and you know, from your perspective, I mean, we all kind of felt like this was going to inevitably be the decision, but at the same time, to actually see it happen, and now we kind of have to deal with that. How, how where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? I mean, you know, obviously the next thing, because the decision was made on Sunday, and they they publicly announced it on Tuesday, and again, I think when you saw the backlash from the Big Ten. I think part of that was because the vote got out and it wasn't unanimous. And I think also because the fear from the coaches that they they wanted their say and their voice to try and disrupt the apple cart a little bit. Um, I think I saw one coach say uh, sometime on Monday anonymously to people that to, to some reporter that, you know, we're finally getting the cart or the, the horse back in front of the cart. Well, what does that actually mean? I mean, that, that was a saying that, that we we're going to, 
that was when they, they tried to force the season and the horse in this instance, uh, it went in that phrase was athletics. And, but that's not how it works. That's, I mean, it's, you know, this is, this was a big moment for the university presidents to take a stand and, and tell athletics that this is an unprecedented situation and we need to stop. Um, how, what happens next? I mean, you got to figure out first. I, I think the biggest thing that needs to be figured out first is what is going to happen for the rest of, of the sports in 2020. Uh, the Pac-12, when they made their announcement, announced they're going to cancel everything into January, much like the Ivy League da- did back in July. Uh, so the Big Ten, that's the first question that needs to be answered. Then the second question is, can we do a football season in the spring? And if if we can, how will it look? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot a lot to unpack this week. And, uh, I mean, I, I, I first want to say, I, I think the Big Ten did a fairly miserable job of communicating. And, you know, this is a tough situation. So I'm always careful to criticize people who I think are putting forth what they think are the best interests of students and athletes and humans, you know, and, and being careful. Um, that said, there were some arguments being made from the other side that had some merit and were worth exploring or at least worth being better explained why they weren't valid. And I think the Big Ten didn't do a real good job of explaining what they were hearing from doctors, why exactly it, it, it couldn't be played, why exactly it was not safe. You know, it's safe for students to be on campus like a lot of these uh, schools are doing, but not safe for football players to play football. And, and we're hearing things about heart issues and, and, and different conditions there. And other, But th- those need to be better explained. These are, these are smart people. And I, I, I was disappointed by that. And I think the Big Ten put themselves in a pickle by – even though they had this flexible schedule, it had a September 5th start date. So they wound up running almost into it and we're going to need to make some decisions soon. Whereas if they had gone a little bit later with the initial start date, um, they might've been able to have a little more time to make sure everybody was on the same page, explain things better and come out as a little bit more of a unified front. I think they always thought they were going to cancel the season. I know they always thought they were going to cancel the season. And so I think this, all of a sudden just happened. But the way they did the schedule five days earlier made this weird. I'm not sure that they thought they were going to cancel this season. I think this goes back to what I said maybe a month or two ago on the podcast, the term false optimism. I think there's always been false optimism. uh, And I think it's the nature of the coaching profession in the athletic world. I think, you you know, you, you hear the phrases, you know, about fighting through things and overcoming adversity and all these things. But this isn't a, this isn't the type of situation like all of those other things. This is this is an infectious disease. This is where the medical community needs to be relied on, not not will and grit and everything else. I really do think that because otherwise it wouldn't have been such a backlash. I mean, it, when that schedule was released, and even even though Kevin Warren, I thought to me was out there saying, "Listen, this is still just a plan. This doesn't mean that we're going to play." Uh, he was adamant about that when they released the schedule last Wednesday. Um, but I don't think anybody wanted to hear that. They wanted to hear, hey, football's coming back. You know, that's the false optimism, I think, that that sports and athletics can breed. And, you know, this is it, if you didn't learn from March Madness being canceled, then you weren't prepared for this. Yeah, no, I, no and, and I, I, I agree with most of that. I, I do think just, and I don't know what coaches thought and players thought, I think there were people who, 
you know, we would say not only no chance, negative 20% chance, 5% chance. There were people who were very down on the possibility of a season. But you're right. There did seem to be a little bit of a little bit of optimism as, as we got close. A little bit of is baseball sort of weathered that initial, you know, Florida Marlins incident and, and, and kept on going is, um, you know, and I always thought they were going to have trouble when students came back on campus. I thought that was going to be a nightmare. But the Big Ten kind of screwed itself with its schedule again because it, 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 by starting Labor Day weekend, you, you don't give yourself time for that to become a data point. And whereas if you're starting at the end of September, you know, you can you can see what, what the ramifications of, of, of that are. Look, I don't I don't fault the Big Ten for, for shutting down. We're in a pandemic. This is, uh, you know, we, we could be playing football right now. We've just, we decided collectively as a country not to do things as well as we could have. Now, I'm not sure. I don't know about that. I, I still, I mean, we're still learning so much about this disease. And again, you know, even let, let, let's say that, let, for example, the myocarditis issue is one that has come up just in recent weeks as, as these, as these cases that, you know, they're considered potentially uh, recovered cases. They're learning more about the long-term effects of this. And that's, that's, I think, to me, something that, you know, masks or not, um, whatever part of that equation and, and side you want to stand on, um, I, I get your ultimate point that the case numbers might have been lower, but we still don't know enough. This is why this is a novel virus, because sure. we don't know the treatments. We don't know the long-term ramifications. And if it's something like that that, that affects the the pulmonary and, and circulatory systems of high-level athletes, and those are the things that they rely on, um, I don't know if we could have played it because because of the fact that it is a contact sport with a significant risk for high transmission. Here's where I disagree only, and that, that I think if you get the positivity rate south of one percent, if you get it where like New York has it, where they're able to have more kids in school, if you if we had done things at, at a, or where a lot of places in Europe have it, um, you know, we if we had had you know the discipline to get to a certain place where that positivity rate was really really low. I, I think we'd be having a very different um, conversation, and but and obviously this has become you know this has become a, a massive political fight. And you know what makes it very difficult, and, I, and, and college sports is reflective of it, right. We've seen that written a lot too, and, and, and some really good columns by good people on the the idea that when you look at um, you know where, where the SEC is, where the ACC is, you can find data that that, that fits what you want, um, and it, it, it's just. One of the things that's so tricky about COVID, I think, is that if it were 5% worse, we'd all be in lockstep, right? I mean, we, we'd all be like, you know, we, everything's got to shut down. We got to figure this out. This is, this is really obviously awful for everyone. If it was 5% better, we'd be going, yeah, there's some tragic cases. This is dangerous a little bit, but, you know, we got to mo- monitor things, but, but we, we can carefully go about life. But where it is... You know, where it, it really tests a country that isn't, you know, isn't in good enough shape to do that sort of thing. It it tests your willingness to sacrifice for others. It tests your uh, understanding of collective freedoms versus individual freedoms. It tests your politics because you have young people who, by and large, haven't been contracting this. You have kids who haven't, although kids have been mostly in homes, and now we're finding other data. It, it's a trick. It's a disease where the, the smartest people in the world are still learning, as you said, Chris, 
every day, which makes it tricky. And then it allows people to, to grab on. I mean, one of the great data points that screwed this whole thing. I mean, there are a lot of, we, we have, we all have opinions on where things went wrong and things that could have been done differently. And I think missteps were really made early on with like, we're just going to flatten the curve. No, we should have been more honest. We got to flatten the curve. Then we got to kick the crap out of this thing, you know, but I think we wanted to get everybody on board. Um, and I think, you know, obviously the, the Fauci, mask thing early on when he was worried about having enough ppp or, or sorry ppe for um hospitals you know people still use that well he said masks you know i i think that sort of stuff uh is is just too bad that, that we can't all let the medical experts evolve their own opinions and listen to the latest ones we can find yeah we're, we're recording right now on on thursday and this uh this morning there was nebraska uh, finally came out and kind of gotten locked up with the Big Ten. They were one of the schools that have been, you know, really vocal over the past couple of days in in uh, difference to what the Big Ten had decided. Uh, are, I, I don't know if surprise is that we're not. Are we surprised Nebraska finally fell in line here or not? Yeah, I got some pretty strong opinions on this because I think that's a, a case of rattling the cage without understanding what the keeper is, is all about. I mean – you know, I mean, it's, we're talking about a school in Nebraska that when they got into the Big Ten back in 2010, right before they were officially made a member, um, they lost their accreditation with the uh, American Association of Universities. And that's that's the gold standard for for universities, for the, the top end research institutions in, in America. 13 of the 14 Big Ten schools are members. Nebraska is not. Um, and what's interesting is that vote back in 2011 to make them the only member of the AAU expelled, uh, there were two votes against them, uh, one of which was Michigan and one of which was Wisconsin. And that, that it ended up being two votes short of retaining membership. Um, they don't want to lose that partnership on the academic side. I mean, that's $10 billion that the Big Ten Ac Academic Alliance brings in. I mean, that's more than the $54 million that they get from the Big Ten Network, but that $54 million, $55 million from the Big Ten Network is a major chunk of change. I think I saw about $20 million more than the next conference, which is the Big 12, pays out to their members. So, yeah, I mean, this was, this was we need to appease – our politicians, we need to appease our fans, and we need to show that we're we're serious about this. But in reality, knowing that they had no no recourse whatsoever, and there's no way they could walk away from that kind of money. Now, the question to me, though, is Graham, does the rest of the Big Ten, because that's a very non-Big Ten move to go publicly against the conference, and that hasn't been the case in quite a bit. And again, I, I go back to. You know, we learned early Monday morning that these presidents had had that 12 to 2 vote. Typically, the conference doesn't want that to get out. They want it to be we're unanimous and we're united. And I heard from a source later Monday saying, no, 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 the vote was unanimous. No, 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 it wasn't actually unanimous. It was it, that 12 to 2 vote is pretty clear, with, it, it, particularly with Nebraska, it wasn't. But, um, you know, the, I, I, to me, I wonder what the rest of the Big Ten thinks of this. Yeah, I mean, I, I get the frustration in different parts of the country. I, you know, I, I you know, also where the the virus is different. I, I, I get where it, where, it, where it's hit different. Maybe I, I get the frustration for people, and I understand that not everybody's going to feel the same way. And um, I, you know, I think the Big Ten missed Jim Delaney here. I'm not a huge Jim Delaney guy, but I think he's very would have been very effective. Those relationships 
or if you had a guy like Mark Hollis had gone on to be the the next guy that I think he might have been if if uh, you know if if he had still been around. I, I think somebody with relationships throughout the league um, would have been really really helpful in this moment. And that's not Kevin Warren's fault. He's he's just new, right? And and this is the most difficult situation probably any commissioner's faced. Um, I, I got to stop you there though, because I don't think this was a Kevin Warren decision, and I don't think that Jim Delaney would have had this ability to hear in this moment either. I think this solely came down to the university presidents. And well, no, but they're listening to other people. I, I agree. What I mean is before things get out, you know what I mean? Like, you know, right. I, I think Jim Delaney back channeling is probably more effective than Kevin Warren is what I mean. Absolutely. And that, that's, that's sort of what I mean. Not, not that this was not ultimately going to be, and, and this has been a reminder when, when everybody talks about why doesn't the conference do this or this or this or this, you know, the, the problem in college sports is, and, is, and the problem for the NCAA is, the NCAA is its members. It is the presidents. It is, you know what I mean? Like, the, the people in control are not, like, there's not Mark Emmert with any control. Uh, Kevin Warren has almost no control. Like, these are um, th these are things that the, the members make everything happen. Nebraska is a, a fascinating situation because it would be interesting to see what they wanted to do or what, what the Big Ten would do if they tried to play an independent schedule. The problem is that, Where's the television money for this year? Now, maybe they would have worked out some temporary partnership uh, or whatnot, but it was uh, in the big, you know, Kevin Warren was quoted at one point basically saying, you're not going to do that if you're going to be part of the Big Ten, and there's just no way, there's no way you're, you're, you're messing with that for this year. Even if this year winds up being, uh, you know, catastrophic financially, you, you've got a better chance to recover from it uh, if you're still in the Big Ten. Do any of you guys think Nebraska actually – reached out to other conferences and tried to tried to figure out a way to leave the Big Ten in the past couple of days, or do you think that was all just bluster? I don't know. I, 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 there might have been, you know, preliminary conversations, a call to, you know, between commissioners, between Texas and Nebraska or somebody. You know, I, I have no clue, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if because if, if they were thinking about things this seriously and talking about this publicly, I wouldn't be surprised if there weren't at least, like, phone calls to gauge – possibility but i have no idea yeah i it wouldn't surprise me but the one the, the other thing that i think on top of the research dollars on top of the big 10 network money that nobody understands and nobody really knows uh what's the exit what's the exit fee to leave the big 10 what's the what's the what's the penalty for leaving the big 10 uh you can ask the last member that left the Big Ten, but there's only been one, and it was the University of Chicago in 1946, and they had de-emphasized athletics uh, about five or six years before that. So you got to understand, nobody, people want to get into the Big Ten. They don't want to leave. Um, I, know, I, I tweeted out a few minutes ago, I just said, Nebraska avoids becoming the University of Chicago minus the academic reputation, you know? <laughs> Oh, Graham's going to be a favorite of Nebraska Twitter here for the next uh, it, it, eight hours. <laughs> and here's the funny thing about that. I mean, the, the Nebraska, or excuse me, the University of Chicago leaves the Big Ten in 1946, but remains an academic partner all the way through 2016, and they still collaborate. So that tells you the power and clout that the Big Ten has academically. I mean, people continually think, you know, these conferences are all about football. Well, maybe some of them are, but the Big Ten's a lot different. Big Ten is probably is among the major conferences as close to the Ivy League as it is. One of many other things I found interesting throughout all this was the push by 
coaches, especially from the Big Ten, I think Ryan Day and Jim Harbaugh seem to be kind of leading this charge. Was the charge Monday night trying to save the season where they were saying kids are safer with the football team on campus because because if they're with the team, they're not out and about in the world or whatever. And it, that always just seemed like a crazy thing to me because, I mean, those two, Michigan and Michigan State and other schools around the nation have had their players uh, come down with COVID-19 and they're just with their teammates. It's yeah. kind of crazy that they had the bluster and the gall to try to push that narrative as a as one of those things. And, and then they had so much support from, from, from certain factions of the college football world. I'm just like, are people even paying attention to this? Like Clemson at one time had like 40 players test positive for COVID. I don't, I don't know. That just seemed like, I don't know if that was a bluster thing either, but it just seemed like everything about this has been so weird. How much worse would the Harper situation have been had classes been in and students been on campus? Right. I mean, I don't know how they think it's going to be better at any campus, including Michigan State, once once the kids are back. No, there, there was, you know, I, there was, and the idea that kids were just going to go home anyway wasn't, I mean, that's not what's happening. They're not sending these kids back to their hometowns. And, you know, the, the other thing that was that was sort of interesting about that notion that, you know, that um, the, the, the threat of bad behavior is a reason to play football. I felt kind of absurd. Like, we, without this, we can't be disciplined. We'll just go back and we won't social distance. You know, this will be, oh, hold on. You know, like, don't, I mean, you're, you're a 21-year-old anyway. You're going to do that as it is. I mean, I, I, I'm aware of some of the circumstances between MSU and Rutgers and other places and how this has happened. Even when kids are know there's everything at stake, I mean, we've all been 20. Discipline in this sort of situation is not our strength. And if you add alcohol to that and you add the opposite sex, my goodness, you just, I mean, social distancing, it's like, I'll deal with that tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just using Michigan State as an example, I mean, during the, in March, when those, that, the first weekend or so, when, when things were getting canceled and everything, I mean, there were, there were, yeah, there were still huge parties at all of the, the Michigan state, you know, campus hotspots. And then when the restrictions got lifted earlier this summer, we saw the Harper's incident where everyone just raced out to the bars and help everyone came down with COVID-19 again. So just like, that's probably what's going to happen when everybody returns here in what next week. Right. There's there's a larger picture issue, I think as well about playing college football and bringing back sports and trying to get back to normal, rush back to normal, I think. I think there's a psychological component to that, that that people outside will say, well, look, they can play football. Um, everything's back to normal. We can, we can go back to living our lives. And that's not necessarily the case right now. I mean, that's not the case at all. I, I think that, you know, the, the desire and, and hope to be entertained uh, still shouldn't put these kids – lives at risk especially you know they, they don't have the options that professional athletes do in terms of having unions and you know the money and 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 the ability to bubble and all these things that i mean they're they're unpaid labor and you can't first of all ask them to do those sort of things otherwise they can demand labor i mean i remember i saw and it's been lost in the shuffle with so much news um there was a letter being drafted last week uh, by athletes in the AAC, um, the the uh, you know the the other conference, not the ACC, but the AAC, the American um, Athletic Conference. Yes, and they were uh, they were planning to demand twenty percent of the conference revenues for football and ha- seeking hazard pay. Now that should have that should really 
concern a lot of people because here's the thing you'd be you, you're essentially employees at that point um if you start give if you give in and give them hazard pay don't think those schools would do that but hey if those athletes are saying you know what we boycott we're not playing now what what's what's yeah what, this is that component's going to get really interesting too the player empowerment you know just just today there is you know um you're seeing it, you know, uh, as we're Senator uh, uh, Chris uh, Chris Murphy from Connecticut is pushing legislation that basically brings about compensation for athletes. And there are conversations there. I mean, because if you compensate athletes too, they're going to be, we're already talking about the potential sports cuts. Um, you'll see that happen. I mean, there, there needs to be a reset in college athletics. There needs to be, uh, you know, we need to look at a lot of things. Uh, but you know, Title IX is the law of the land. That's not going anywhere. And as long as football is part of the college equation, um, if, if, if there any compensation is going to lead to fewer sports because outside of name, image, and likeness, because there are um, there's not as much money sometimes as people think. It, it's 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 a miss it's misstated. It, it's a it's a Jay Billis item. It's a you know pay the players item. You know, it it just it's not is is it's not as free flowing as everybody thinks. Yeah, I do find it interesting that, you know, when that we want to play push kind of happened on Saturday night with the players led by Clemson QB Trevor Lawrence, the, the players organizing as a union was one of their big bullet points. And that, that has not, that has not, not even true. been discussed. Not true. Over the An association. Big difference. All right. Fair, fair enough. Well, hey, regard, regard, regardless, that has really not been a talking point at all the past three or four days. Well, it was for a bit, and then everything unraveled with the Big Ten um, and, and everything becoming public with their decision. Uh, but I do think, I mean, and I think it is an important distinction because they. I talked with Hunter Reynolds from Michigan at like 2 in the morning after that. I mean, Trevor Lawrence, it was a coordinated effort. I mean, Trevor Lawrence at 12.01 a.m. Monday morning, uh, followed by Justin Fields at 12.09, followed by Chubba Hubbard and you know, Oklahoma's quarterback and every other top player around the country all tweeting out. But but Hunter Reynolds, who was part of that group, uh, Michigan defensive back, um, we, we talked about that. And I asked him specifically, I said, is this a, 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 an attempt at unification or the seeds for a union? And he really had to pause and think about it. And there's been other threads out there talking about the legal situation that you, you, you the National Labor Relations Board, um, you know, you have to be basically paid. You have to be an employee to, to unionize. So this would have to be something completely different. But it's needed. There's it, no question that's needed. No question that the athletes believe that it's needed. And I think Reynolds was adamant as well when we talked that he doesn't want this to just, in, in talking those all those other guys, they don't want this to just be about the football players. They They want this to be all divisions, all sports. I mean, that's like nearly 500,000 athletes. That's a huge, amazing voice that is really the only thing that will exact change from their end. Um, but, you know... It, you know, you know what? You know what's going to shut this down before we move on to, to, to like... I wanna, I wanna, we, we should talk some uh, spring football, too, here, I think. But you know what yeah. I think is going to shut this down, Chris? Is name, image, and likeness. And, and yep. I, I, because what's going to happen is... First of all, they're going to have the ability to, to, to profit. They're going to find out how much they're actually worth. For some of them, that's going to be great. For others, it's going to be humbling as heck. For some of them, they're going to realize how great a deal that scholarship is because it is a, a great deal a lot of places, especially 
you know, I, it's not just the scholarship. Like two thirds of these guys are special admit kids who could not get into most universities without being able to play football. So they're, they're, they're the football they're getting in they're, So they're getting an education. First of all, that they, they probably uh, aren't ready for or haven't deserved through the, through the academics or, or, and frankly, it, some of that has to do with all sorts of reasons and backgrounds. And then they're getting the, the tuition and, and the tree. I mean, it's not a bad deal for a lot of these guys, but when you get the name, image and likeness, that's going to splinter some things because that all of a sudden the equality is gone and people are going to look at that guy in the locker rooms getting that that guy's getting the locker rooms that and the idea that you're ever going to get a unified front again i think it, it, it might be it but we talked about that off the podcast uh you know it works in baseball i mean it works in in the nfl it works in every pro sport to have their union now, this obviously would be something a lot different it would be an association to have that voice but I mean, you know, I think these guys are smart enough and, and savvy enough now to know their worth. Um, I think, you know, a lot of these athletes know each other. And we talked about this as well, um, how this all came about. I mean, these, this is a different generation of athletes. You're talking about athletes now. 20 years ago, maybe you knew a couple guys in your county uh, at other schools. Maybe you knew a couple guys, uh, the top players around the state. Uh, but because of the proliferation of AAU basketball and summer football camps, these guys are all friends now. They spend a lot of time together. And so there's, they're, they're not just an enemy face across the court anymore. These are, these are guys that have connections. So they're able to jump on social media and on, on video conference calls and, and connect with each other because they already got the connection. They don't have to build it. I mean, that's, that's, that's a different time and era for, for athletes that they'll be able to do that. And it's, it also comes at a, at a crazy confluence with the name image likeness, but also with the black lives matter movement. Um, you know, it, it really has been, um, I mean, think about it. Think about where we were in March when all this happened to what happened now and how many, significant issues have really risen to the fore uh, on top of dealing with a pandemic. I mean, it's been, you know, it, it's, it's amazing. Let's move on to a potential spring schedule here. I mean, what do you guys, Graham, have you go first? Or what do you think a spring schedule looks like if, if it even happens? Yeah. I mean, Jeff Brom from Purdue put out a pretty detailed idea and there's, you know, I, the question is whether you could play the, uh, the full 10 games that they, they put out. And, and there's some question whether that's safe. And, and I'll leave that for people who are in the sport to decide, you know, in terms of the turnaround. I think you could be done playing football about the time you finish spring practice a lot of places. So it's not like it'd be but, – but a season is different than spring practice. And so uh, in terms of wear and tear and, and, and turning around the next fall and, and what they want to – whether they want the next fall to be delayed or anything like that. So I, I don't know 100%, but I do know that and, – and despite hearing that you know, people say they haven't discussed anything in the spring at all. There have been conversations about what it might look like over the course of the summer, including the idea that they would, um, you know, they would look at, especially in the Midwest for the Big Ten, uh, sites indoors like Detroit and Indianapolis and Minneapolis and to play games when the weather is just, you know, not very tolerable to be outside. So I think you could see that sort of thing uh, early on in the season. Um the number of games, whether there was anything collective nationally afterwards, I don't know. I, my guess is not, but my guess is you see something in the um, if you don't get the ten, in the eight game realm, maybe with a conference championship game after that, and that that would be um, you know starting in, in, in late February, and that would that would be my best 
guess in terms of scheduling for it. But again, the, it'll be interesting to see if there's any adaptation from the NFL, if there's any willingness to, uh, to, to budge. Doesn't, to this point, they haven't. But what we're also going to find out from the NFL is if the NFL season happens. Right now, the NFL is going full steam ahead. We'll see if that works. Because if everything does work in the NFL, the timing is, you know, the Super Bowl ends beginning of February, and uh, then you get, you know, college football, and that's, you know, that's not awful. It's not really in our natural clock. Uh, you know, most of us think about hoops and then spring training and all that stuff. But uh, I, I, I think, I think it could work, and I think the, it, financially, it, it's very much worth trying to make work. Uh, any other football uh, talking points you guys want to hit before we move on to basketball? Well, I think we need to kind of bring it all back around to Michigan State um, since this is the Michigan State podcast. Yeah, there and, were, yeah, go ahead. You know, I, I, you have that on here, and I think that's an important point. I mean, you know, it, it, it's kind of I'm kind of torn because I think it's important for Mel Tucker to have his program out there and and un, get the guys on the same page, but at the same point. He also had such a late start. I mean, with when Mark D'Antonio retired, how quick that moved. I mean, that seems like a hundred lifetimes ago, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. it was February. I mean, and we're sitting here in August. This is, I mean, it's unbelievable. It's six months ago. It, it feels like six years ago with everything that's happened. And you know, the fact that they were able to get a few practices in, I think you know that's somewhat important. Um, you know, but and, and he, you know, he talked about when we spoke with him uh, the day before practice opened uh, that, you know, establishing their culture and getting that going was critical without having spring football, without having summer workouts traditionally. Um, and then it gets stopped and he has to pull them off the field in the middle of practice. But I do think long term, um, this gives them a chance to do that. Um, and become a more visible face without the rushed feeling, I think. I don't know about you, Graham. Yeah, I, I think there are silver linings for Mel Tucker's program in, in that, you know, he, he gets a real run-up here, you know, and uh, he gets a chance. I mean, I, you know, and whether they play in the spring or not, I think, you know, he also gets another – he gets a recruiting cycle his own without a loss on his record. And, you know, I've talked to coaches before about the first year. And, and, and obviously, as you win, you can get better recruits and you've proven more. But sometimes year one is easier than year two and three in terms of selling the dream. Because there's no chinks in it yet. You can't – there's no there's no way to, to say that can't happen. Because you haven't blown a game. You haven't gone – three and nine you haven't had something go wrong now if you have a great first year that's surprising or you show some potential that can help too but i don't think it's the worst thing in the world for him um for his program to to um to get a little more of a proper run-up yeah the downside to that though uh just kind of dovetailing off what you were saying is you don't have anything to show them right the recruits especially the top end i don't necessarily think i think you know you can sell to the three-star recruits but the four and five star recruits you're hoping to get want to see what you can do. And if you haven't had a game, if you haven't really had much practice film to show them or anything of that, uh, that type of thing. Yeah. That, that still hamstrings you a little bit, but, but you're right. The other side of it. Yeah. And I, and I think that, you know, you're right. And I, what you're trying to do right now is land a couple four stars that buy into you, right? You're not going to really, you'd love to get, or a couple kids that are really high-end kids that that um, 
you know, but yeah, you're, you know, you're right. You, you, you're going to have to identify. And, and this is a hard year. I'm guessing to identify kids too. You know, I mean, you know, you don't know if kids are playing certain places. And, right. uh, there's some real challenges. And I, I think, you know, I think everybody will give, no, and building this thing for a year or two, they're not going to, you know, I mean, I think people have to be reasonable. Okay, let's move on to basketball here. Let's start with Xavier Tillman. The the junior big man announced that he would be staying in the NBA draft while Aaron Henry uh, decided he would return to Michigan State for his junior year. The media, you guys met with Xavier Tillman on Wednesday, and uh, ultimately at the end of the day, I don't think we are surprised that he decided to stay in the draft. Uh, Chris, what was kind of what your kind of takeaway from what he was talking to you guys about yesterday? Yeah, I thought it was interesting that how much he was going back and forth, and it kind of what we had heard through the rumor mill. Um, you know, there were some points where you heard, well, he's definitely leaving. And there were points when you heard he's definitely staying, and I, you know, he his his saying that he was he was flip flopping every two weeks kind of mirrored that. Um, but I thought that the 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 anecdote that he gave about Dick Vitale's tweet, and Graham, we both we both reached out when we heard the Vital tweet. And uh, pretty quickly and emphatically, when we did, they were like, his camp was like, no, <laughs> this this is not legit. And, uh, you know, I, I, I thought, but hearing that he got calls from NBA teams after Vital put that out there and they were asking, what are you doing? You, you said you were going to tell us if you were going to stay in the draft or leave or go back to school. He's like, what, you know, we were going to draft you or we we're planning to draft you. And I think he he kind of. That kind of gave him what he said was confidence. And, you know, is it going to be at the end of the first round? Is it going to be second round? I, I don't know. But I think that the more that, that Tillman – here's the thing. Tillman hasn't been able to work out for these teams, but he's been able to meet with them like he met with us via Zoom calls. And if 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 it's anything like we've dealt with Xavier Tillman in the last three, four years, even back to when he was in high school, he's going to impress some teams with that. Yeah. No, and the other thing that is- – Stood out to me, and I thought that the, the Dick Vitale thing was funny, um, just uh, how that all played out. But, you know, for him, he talked about – somebody asked, about, was there any thought of coming back, like, you know, finishing you – know, unfinished business, so to speak, I think it was the way it was phrased. And he thought – you know, he said, you know, the unfinished business, this was the year. The junior year was the year, and that's what we sort of talked about. Like, this this felt like his moment with them, right? He was having the, – the final couple of weeks, those games – against Luca Garza and, and, and uh, Wesson and, and uh, Lamar Stevens and um, and uh, 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 the kid from Maryland, Jalen Smith. I mean, that, that was, there were incredible performances back to back to back to back as MSU sort of rose into a different team. That was his moment. And it's too bad we didn't get to see where it went in March, you know, and, and, and the NCAA tournament because I'm not sure a team that relied heavily on a big man for its mojo or its offense or whatever – was going to beat this Michigan State team because Tillman was that effective. And, um, you know, but that was his moment. It didn't happen. And he, he knew he wasn't even sure he was going to get a senior season. If, if he stayed. So it was interesting to hear him say that, like that was the moment, so to speak. Understanding the junior year was the moment makes me believe that he was sort of leaning on going all along, even if he was, you know, waffling back and forth. I think he was, if, if he, he was looking for a reason to go. And once he had it, that you know, that, that he, he made that decision. Yeah, and as far as Aaron Henry, I think it's a good decision for him to come back. And I think we all have talked about that all along. Um, but I think that having Tillman and, and Winston gone now, that allows some air for him to be him. 
Um, and, and I think, cause I was thinking about this yesterday in talking to Tillman and, you know, we've had, we've been blessed as sports writers to have two of the best guys who've been able to break down emotions, X's and O's on all the things that go around basketball and, and life in general with Winston and Tillman. And, and that's kind of overshadowed Aaron Henry, who I think is a very, I think he's very open, honest and Frank and, and, and can, can, has the star qualities about him. Um, so this allows him to breathe and, and kind of grow into that role a, a little bit more as a junior. Um, in the one thing that Tillman did say, and I think it, we'd be remiss to not mention it, is that he thought he's seen some video and before he left East Lansing, uh, watched in person Josh Langford and really was talking him up, uh, saying how good he looks. So, you know, if, if you want to go back to what last year Tom Izzo said going into that season, he needs his big three to produce. Now, now that big three becomes Rocket Watts, Aaron Henry, and and Joshua Langford. Um, too. I mean, Joey Hauser may be the best. And yeah, Joey Hauser, so yeah. Good team. I mean, what's, what's so interesting is they've had this enormous recruiting run here, which is uh, the post-pandemic kids, and I think that's uh, helpful to people's psyche because all of that's happening with people who hopefully will, will arrive when life is a little more back to normal. And so that allows some excitement and, and, and buzz around that. But this year's team, even minus Tillman, has a chance to be incredible if a season happens. And the, to Lankford, you know, the fact that the season's probably going to start late, uh, you know, might be um, a little bit. I, I don't know that that's um, a bad deal. And I think, I think that, you know, his maturity will be good. His perspective on getting, I, I think, will be good for this team. I, uh, I, yeah, I think, um, and I, I, I agree with you on Henry. I just, I don't know what he was. I mean, I, obviously, everybody wants to play in the NBA. Hell, I want to play in the NBA. I thought I was going to replace John Elway until way too late in life. But, I, you know, there's a certain point where, Nobody's putting you as a projected draft pick. There's not going to be an NBA combine. The writing's on the wall. Yeah, totally agree with you on on Langford as well. If they don't start the season until 2021, particularly with the foot issues and trying to rush back last season and then going through all 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 over again, uh, that's critical. I think that any extra time that he can get to to get to 100 percent or at least close to it, it, it would be good. I talked about at the beginning of the podcast how this quarantine has been weird and awful for a lot of people, but I think we can all agree that if there's been one winner throughout the past 16 months, it is Michigan State basketball and specifically its recruiting process. As on Thursday, Michigan State landed a, another high-profile athlete with the commitment of uh, Farmington point guard Jaden Akins, and it's interesting that he is he will join a fellow Michigan State <laughs> commit, Amani Bates, who we all know at the newly formed Ypsi Prep Academy next year. Uh, uh, Grandma, have you start here? What was kind of your reaction to, uh, you know, his own company landing another high-profile recruit here? Yeah, a little less high-profile, but still really good player um, and, and, and a point guard, which sort of, you know, really rounded out the class in a lot of ways. Although, um, you know, they're going to have a number of guys that can handle the ball and play multiple positions. But, uh, you know, a kid with uh, a little bit of – Comparisons to the, the the Terry kid they had for a while on on the books, and uh, except bigger, longer, um, you know, I, probably a little bit of a better shooter, maybe even. I, I, um, I, I think it's a good get, and I, you know, I mean that that class is just, um, you know, he's not a one and done kid, and and I think that's you don't want all one and done kids because if they come and it's gone, you know. I, I I think I think it's a really good get. Um, you got a point guard who. 
uh, can develop. We'll see what happens with with uh, with AJ Hoggard too. But um, uh, I, I I I think it, it has been a remarkable run for Izzo, and you know it, I, he's never had anything quite like it. And the pandemic uh, has helped because some of these kids, the, the some of the other schools that they would be up against, were not able to get these kids on campus. And um, and then some of it's been location and relationships. Uh, you know, I think Max Christie really was sold. He was at the Ohio State game uh, at the end of the year and just loved that experience. And uh, Monty Bates, obviously a long, long relationship. Uh, and they got lucky with uh, Enoch that, um, you know, that was they were the first. Izzo was the first, like, head coach to check him out. At, you know, uh, and... I, th- th- there's a lot of things that went well with this in terms of locations and relationships, but I, I, it's been a remarkable run, no question. Yeah, and I think that's the one piece. I mean, it, the, you're talking about three really good kids. You know, you get the five-star in Christie and a couple of four-stars in Pierre Brooks and, and Jaden Akins. And, you know, you kind of see the positionless basketball because all these guys can handle the rock. They can also uh, score. They can also attack the rim. Uh, but then the real big question now becomes – what is the next step? Does this become a four-player class with Imani Bates? Does he reclassify? Um, and again, when we start talking about the situation uh, as we did with football, and you start thinking about what will happen next with high school basketball, um, the interesting situation with them with Bates creating the the prep academy and with Aikens going there, one, they get a chance to play together, uh, which is big, but two, they're outside of the MHSAA auspices. So if the MHSAA cancels basketball season, they can still go play across state lines. So that'll keep them fresh and help build that connection and, and quite possibly could be the the, the decider uh, about Bates, whether he reclassifies to, to be joined uh, Aikens and those guys in 2021. Yeah, if, if uh, both Bates and Blockway uh, decide to reclassify to 2021, that is going to be uh, – crazy on so many levels how is is it going to fit everybody on the rosters on scholarship starters uh, i mean like we've talked about on you know on and off there you know that can that could be arranged one way or the other but i mean if all those guys do end up coming in together it is going to be uh, one crazy season at least at the very least in east lansing yeah well and they, they think there's a real chance they could lose uh rocket watch aaron henry and, and joey hauser after the season and and if that were to happen i mean that sort of is how it happens depending on how many guys do come back. So it may not be just like guys transferring out to it. Maybe they're, they're going to have three guys who, if there is a season, they have three guys who I think are planning on with a good season being in next year's NBA draft, whether that happens for them, we'll see. But um, that, that, that may take care of itself there too. Okay. Well, let's uh, move on to Twitter questions. First question from former LSJ Patrick Sloan Turner. What am I supposed to do now on Saturdays this fall? I don't know. Cider mills, um, you know, like, no, I mean, Maybe they'll have NFL games. There might be SEC games. There will be, you know, they're going to have the NBA playoffs, NHL. It's going to be different, but um, you know, we'll find something. Just uh, don't, don't, don't get boxed into chores. Saturday is still not for chores. <laughs> Joe the Puffin asks, "What needs to go right for Tucker to have an Izzo-like rise? Can we get back to 2013-2015, or are we headed for a John L. Smith era?" And had Antonio sought new blood after 2016 and 2018 on the field and in the booth, would that have rejuvenated his program? It's a lot to unpack right there. Uh, short <laughs> answers. Short answers. First, uh, they have to have a, a football game. 
I think that's the important thing. And they have to go through a big practices, you know, a big amount of practices, I should say, and, and develop that. Uh, he's got to do well on the recruiting trail. And that's, that's, I think where, uh, things after the, the 2016 recruiting class for D'Antonio changed. Um, you saw them going from having a couple four or five star kids here and there to going back to just having three star kids and to win at that elite level, you got to have at least a couple of those guys. Um, the right guys. You can't have this, the wrong guys that, that they fell into. I think that's important. And I think Tucker's relationships need to be built um, in Detroit. They need to be built in Chicago. They need to be built in Indianapolis. I mean, that's that's how Tom Izzo built his basketball program. And I think, you know, and as well as Ohio. I, I think the Ohio connection that he has as being a Cleveland guy is important. So those four places, I think, uh, if he can do that and and – pull some of the top-level kids from those areas, uh, I think he can have success. All right. Alan Perlstein asks, it seems to me that a spring football season is short-sighted and that it doesn't take into consideration the almost year-round preparation schedule for fall play, such as physical training and spring-summer practices. How much would a spring season impact the following fall season? It might. I mean, but if you're done in April, and and, and, and sure, you might give kids, it might be a different off-season. So you might take, you know, the back half of April, May, uh, complete in June, completely off two and a half months away, completely July for, you know, conditioning and then bring them back in August. Maybe you do push the next college football season, uh, back like a week, even that might make a difference. So I, I don't know. And I don't know how many games they'll play. Keep in mind, they won't have the wear and tear of this season either. So, um, but yeah, you know, football people know better, but I, I don't, I, I don't know that it's, it's impossible, but there's absolutely, you, you want to be careful there. Very last question from Nick Gandhi. Ideal non-conference bubble for MSU. Should basketball resort to that? I think it would be a Big Ten type thing. You, you know, you could do a non-conferencing with like a consortium where you had a couple different leagues and if the mid-major leagues could afford to be there. And uh, But obviously, I think it would be you, you put the Big Ten in Indianapolis and you, you, play, you play a season over a couple months. And uh, that would be in, in, with online courses and – um, to me, that would be a, a good way of, uh, of trying to do it. And uh, we'll see. There's a window between Thanksgiving and the beginning of the second semester where there aren't any classes uh, in, in, in person. And you might be able to do some events there, too, that are sort of bubbled as well. Yeah, the one thing I think needs to be kept in mind, though, when talking about this is a quote from Kevin Warren to Yahoo the other day. Uh, These are amateur athletes. They're not professionals. They are amateurs. We're not NFL, NBA, or Major League Baseball. So that makes it difficult to to enact that kind of bubble setting. All right. I think that'll wrap things up. You guys got any final thoughts? We covered a lot of ground today, guys. Absolutely. It's fun. Let's do this again uh, next year. No, I'm kidding. Next week, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter at Graham underscore Couch, at Chris Solari, at Phil underscore Friend, and LSJ Green White. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. 
From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.